In episode 58 of MobyCast, John and Chris discuss the practical issues with RDS replicas. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, hey guys. Good to be back. Yeah, so what have you been up to, Rich? You, we missed you last week. Yeah, I think it might have been a couple weeks, actually. I'm not even sure the last time I've been on. But, you know, you still have been doing your work as a producer, so <laughs> everybody yeah. listening wouldn't have heard the last few weeks if it weren't for you, so thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure. Last week, my dad was in town, and so I spent the majority of my time just hanging out with him out here in Denver. So this week has been, or at least today, my, my dad left yesterday, has been sort of getting back on track and trying to put the pieces together. Right on. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I was, I'm kind of digesting some little bit of sad news. Yesterday, saw the announcement that the startup I was at before, Kelsis, Arabelle, abruptly just turned off the lights and shut down. Oh. So Arabelle is a scientific wellness company. So the mission behind it was instead of, you know, our conventional medical system is all focused on treating symptoms and disease. And instead, we should be focusing on having just the best health possible, right? So it'd be more preventative, be more proactive, and really just have have the most vitality that you can and, and do that through science and employing things like genetic testing and, and blood work and microbiome and, and just lots of science around it and, and behavior change and coaching and whatnot. So they were they were founded in 2015 and raised a bunch of money. Lee Hood was one of the founders of the, and he's just a legend in the in the medical and the biotechnology space. And so it was kind of sad to see yesterday that they just said, look, business model doesn't work and we were just shutting it down. So that is really too bad. I even use a couple of their services or I try I tried them out. And you know, if nothing else, I could tell that everybody there was really committed and really hardworking and wanted to see it succeed. So I'm bummed. <laughs> To hear that too. It, it, there, there's definitely a lot of passion there. Like you kind of need the passion to kind of like stick because the, the company has had just a really hard time getting the buy-in from just the public. And I think that's, this is really, that's a comment on just society. And it's just, we're so kind of in general, like being proactive, doing the hard work without really seeing the immediate gains is not something that we do. Instead, we just want that pill that fixes us. And I think, you know, them shutting down, that's one of the the reasons why they, they weren't able to make it because they just really weren't able to find that that population of customers that valued that would do that, do the hard work before they are faced with a diagnosis or right, some, right, some medical right. issue. Yeah. And that's, you, you know, you've known me long enough that one of my favorite metaphors when I talk to new startups is whether, you know, are you selling vitamins or are you selling ibuprofen? And I, I would add to that now, or also, are you selling amphetamine? Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and the, the most wildly successful startups are selling amphetamine and the ones that just struggle are selling vitamins. And, and that's kind of what Arabelle was, is it like, mm-hmm. take your vitamins. Yep, absolutely. So... Hopefully someday. Right, right. Yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about databases and scaling, RDS in particular. And I'm excited for this because this comes straight from some really recent Kelsis experience dealing with some difficulties. So let's see, maybe you can get us started, Chris, and just kind of help us dive in. Yeah, maybe just to set the tone a little bit, you know, talking a little bit just about distributed systems 101. And, you know, there's really two primary ways for, for scaling, right? You can either scale up where you can scale out. Scaling up is from an architecture design standpoint, it's definitely the simplest, right? So scale up just means as my load increases, just buy a bigger piece of hardware, a bigger machine, a more capable machine. So I want to double my my throughput, I'll get a twice as fast CPU or I'll double the memory, right? And just continue to get a bigger machine. Nothing, my software doesn't have to change. You know, maybe I have to 
change my my network bandwidth or, or you know, kind of upgrade my 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 storage, my disk space or whatnot. But don't have to change my code, right? It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and I can do that. But obviously, there's a limitation to that. You're gonna hit like you can only get so big of a machine, right? And they're also it's gonna get more and more expensive. So really, where everything has gone now, in order to to, to deal at internet scale, you really have to scale out. And scale out is all about now instead of having a very expensive one server, you have a, a cluster of nodes, and these are more commodity hardware, and you get the the power and the scalability by just having multiple nodes all being able to answer the the traffic. So much more much more scalable. This is basically how a lot of, of systems do scale, but it's also a lot more complicated, right? Because now you have things like your replicating state, and how do you deal with what happens with if one of those nodes is out of sync or goes down? How do you know who's kind of like the authority in there? So lots of lots of complexity, lots of algorithms or whatnot. Just to give a concrete example, you just use a kind of a technical term about re- replicating state. And I guess a, a concrete example would be if you've got a cluster of a hundred machines and they're all answering questions, you know, from your web session. And maybe your web session, you're in the middle of buying a plane ticket, and many many you know parts to that. You're getting seats, you're adding luggage. Unless you do something like pin every one of your requests to a single machine that knows exactly. What what you're doing, what you're in the middle of, which is not a good idea anymore, but it is the way things used to work for a while. Unless you're pinning that to a single machine, then all the machines need to be able to know where you are in that process. And so that's that's kind of what you mean by replicating things. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's you know, you, you build this this cluster that from the outside, it looks like one thing, but behind it, it's really a, it's a set of different machines, but they all have to kind of be able to answer those same requests that got come in. So they all need to, again, have the, the same, same data or have access to the same data right they're not all having you pick your seat again exactly (laughs) (laughs) yes and so you know maybe some terms to talk about here are strongly consistent versus eventually consistent so when you're dealing with things like state and replication you have these these multiple nodes in the system to be strongly consistent means that every single one of those nodes has the exact same set of state so they're they're all very strongly consistent so any one of those nodes at, at any point in time really has the exact same state as anyone else. So that from from an application standpoint ends up being very beneficial, but from a practicality standpoint becomes it's very expensive. And so this is something that not really done on a on a large scale or it's just something you really have to kind of like think through and decide whether or not you really this is a this is a requirement. The kind of the flip side of that is something it's called eventually consistent. And so what this this means is that so you have that that set of different machines that they they're all trying to have the same state but at any point in time, there's no guarantee that they all do have the same state. So at say T0, one of them could have like the latest up-to-date information. And then if there's two other ones, maybe they don't have it yet. But at some point, you know, call it T1 later, they will they will eventually have that information. So at some later point in time, they will all be in state as of that last, right? Of course, new changes could have come in, right? So there's always this this lag, this delta between them. I'm going to jump in again with example man is back. So (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So something that might have to be strongly consistent. I'm just thinking, what, what, when would you just need strong consistency? And one of the th- one of my thoughts was like, oh, you're selling tickets to an event, and the tickets have assigned seats. If you're saying that you know row K seat three is sold, then everybody really needs to know immediately. Like there there can't be a, a case where some nodes think it's available and some nodes think it's sold. That's just gonna break. But on the other hand, you know, a social media app like somebody updates their status. Hey, I'm having, you know, pho in this cool restaurant in New York City. Some nodes might know about that right away and other ones will know about it eventually and nobody really cares that it takes a couple seconds for that to get propagated through the network. Yeah, absolutely. So so these are good terms for us to understand and, and have those examples and keep them back on because this will will play into as we kind of go through and now actually start talking about databases with AWS and in particular RDS and the various different configurations that you have there and the fact that it's not just as simple as a as a checkbox to to deal with this right you know something that we kind of left out of the initial conversation but we kind of it was in there it was under the covers and i just want to bring it up a little bit is that you know there's we talked about clusters and nodes we didn't really talk about the fact that there may be you know clusters of application servers that just have application code that knows business logic and is kind of stateless and in the past and i had kind of mentioned in the past those application servers might not have been stateless they might have had in-memory state that they're keeping track of but these days they're typically stateless most architects would not create stateful apps if at all possible so that's one cluster and that's not really what we're talking about today we're talking about the cluster that might represent your your database so where you're actually storing your state so that might be sql databases mongo databases whatever just where where is it that you're actually storing your state and is that a single node or multiple node cluster and is the data in there when you ask it a question when you ask that cluster a question or tell it to store some information for you is that action you know strongly consistent or eventually consistent so just to kind of separate the two the data layer versus the application layer yeah that's a that, that's a good point um so we're absolutely talking about databases here we're talking about state like you said like for for others other things at the application layer definitely want to make those stateless that way you can throw a load balancer in front of them and don't have to worry about anything versus can't really do that with it's not as simple right with database you can't just put your idea you know you can't put postgres in front of a load balancer it's not going to work right. too well so maybe moving on to to rds so rds is the relational database service with the the managed relational database service offered by aws and so many of the popular RDS systems, such as Postgres and MySQL, SQL Server, Oracle, and whatnot are offered. And with RDS, there's there's a couple options here. And it's kind of interesting because they both the kind of like the strongly consistent model as well as the eventually consistent model applies here. And so there's two, two main ways to kind of configure RDS from just an architecture standpoint. One is to enable multi-AZ. And what multi-AZ is, is, is you can kind of think of it as like active and backup or primary and, and, and backup, where this is really all about dealing with availability. It doesn't have anything to do with scaling because with multi-AZ, only one of those databases is actually available for serving requests. You have that backup is being kept in sync with the primary in the case that the primary is no longer available, in which case there's a there's a failover. And so in this particular case, you do have replication of state and it is strongly consistent, right? This is a kind of a guarantee of the system. So when writes come into that primary, they're in real time synchronously being replicated to that backup so that there's the guarantee that the backup is always has the same state as the primary. And 
and you need that, right, for a failover because it means if it wasn't, then when you did fail over, you would see basically the equivalent of data loss, which would be a, basically a big problem. So that's the that's multi-AZ option with RDS. And again, it's you're replicating state in a, in a strongly consistent way, but you're paying a performance penalty for it, right? Because your writes now are a little bit longer because it does have some weight for acknowledgement that the, the write to the backup happened. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. The other main way of configuring these RDS would be to enable read replicas. And so with read replicas, you are creating, again, multiple servers for your for your database. It is replicating the state, but this this replication is happening asynchronously. And so it's you're not guaranteeing that when that write happens that it gets propagated to all your read replicas at the same time. Instead, it's it's being done in the background and there's some replication lag and basically it's an, it's it's adhering to that eventually consistent model. So, th- but what this is good for is that you can actually now use those read replicas to serve up your read operations. So. So read replicas is definitely something that you use to increase the scalability of your system, especially if you are a, a read-heavy application. Read replicas aren't going to help you if most of your operations are writes, but fortunately, most applications out there, they are much more read-intensive than they are writes. And so you can you can enable read replicas in order to increase the scalability of your, of your application. Right. So you're a startup and you've got an application out there and it's got pretty low traffic most of the time. And it's been just living on a single, you know, you've got multi-AZ configured just because availability is important to you. But it's been living on just, you know, one instance, one medium-sized instance on RDS. And holy shit, all of a sudden you've got a viral thing happening and you've got thousands of people signing on and you're looking at your database load and you're like, oh my God, this database is not going to be able to handle this. We don't want to turn users away or look like we're having a bad time. So let's do it. Let's just flip on a read replica, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, AWS 101, right? Like you'll just do a Google search or look at the documentation, right? It's like, hey, if you need more scalability with your read operations with RDS, go use replicas, you know, enable read replicas. And it's something in the console, it's super easy to, you know, it's, a, it's like a checkbox, right? It's really easy to enable re-replicas for, for a database. And so it's kind of interesting that it's glossed over, right? Like that's not all the work, right? Like this actually has pretty big ramifications on your architecture and on your on your application in order to consume this. And so there's, you know, it's you do have to roll up your sleeves and do some heavy lifting here in order to take advantage of this, this new architecture. It's pretty, if you think about it, I mean, Definitely, it's pretty sophisticated. You're going from a single node to a multi-node stateful environment. There's that replication going on. And how do you now load balance your request across these things? So these are all things that you have to consider now once you've made that choice. Right, Chris. So I, I just have to say something real quick. And before I do, I just want any potential clients of Kelsis to just go ahead and turn off the podcast right now. <laughs> turn it off. Okay, now that they're gone... I will say that there was a team at Kelsis that recently made this mistake and they just flipped on the checkbox and yeah, guess what happened? Maybe Chris can tell us. 
Yeah. So I kind of, I'm always kind of blown away by the fact that like it just from the documentation, everything that you see and people will, you know, solution architects and what will just say, okay, just enable read replicas and away you go. But it's just, it's not that simple. So some things that now happen is that your read replicas actually have different endpoints. They're basically d- different DNS entries than your primary. So if you don't change anything in your code, like it's still going to be going against your primary, even though you enabled your read replica. So you now have to change your code. Right. Um, and so to, they did, right? So they just made a quick hot patch, pointed the, the read operations at the read replica, done, right? It works. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've somehow magically made it so that your application is only doing read operations on those, then that's fine. But if you send a write operation to a replica, it's not going to go so well. The replica will, will fail it, right? Oh. You'll, you'll actually, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you will get denied right because it's, it's a replica it's a read replica so it's read right. only so and that's exactly what happened to us I, you know and this may be a language thing it could be that we were using you know this particular library with javascript called sequelize maybe many of you listening are, are using that and I guess apparently it's possible to kind of label the queries in SQLize. I haven't actually used it myself, but you label them for what they are. This is an insert, or this is a write, or this is a query. And I guess SQLize doesn't really care if you mislabel them. It doesn't do anything about about it. If in, if you have a single database and you call something a query that actually has an update in it, it doesn't say, hey, you can't do that. But the read replica will. The read replica will say, hey, you can't do that if you try to try to send an update to it. And SQLize knows which database, you know, whether to use the read replica or use the main database based on how those queries are labeled. So it's really important to get them exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. So so this is, I mean, it is one of the things where once you do enable read replicas and you have considered your application and, you know, in most libraries out there that you're using as middleware to go and do data modeling and, and talk to a database, they will, they understand the difference between read versus write. It's just for this exact kind of scenario. But it's not like they can analyze the exact operation that you're sending and always know that this is this should be sent to the reads or this is this should be sent to the writes, right? So it, there may be some of the the basic straightforward kind of syntactic sugar operations that it knows, like oh, if you're doing a create or or an insert, like then this definitely should go to the right to the um, to the master to the primary, but. If you have some arbitrary SQL, maybe some some complicated SQL that you want to go, it's it's going across multiple tables, doing some joins, and maybe it's doing some some other kind of advanced stuff. So you have kind of a more of a, a hand rolled SQL statement. It's not going to know how to label that necessarily. So you really do have to kind of think this through and look at this. And it really, once you do make this this change to go to replicas, it, it, the onus is on you to really make sure that you've done that coverage, that you've gone through the code and everywhere you are making these kinds of database operations, have they been identified, flagged accordingly? Otherwise, you're going to get a really rude awakening when you go to production and it's like, Maybe that that one operation that is very rarely executed that you forgot that you didn't catch, it's gonna you know start failing at you know midnight right. on, a, on a Saturday night, and it's because it's yeah that actually is a, a mutable operation. It should have gone to the to the primary, but instead you sent it to the replica, and the replica just failed it. So now that and it, it's gonna continue to fail, right? Like your code's not gonna do anything different. So you're you're basically now just 
completely failed for that. I was just, I mean, just to add some color to this, I do, I do feel like this may be, you know, a, a classically startup type problem. It's, it's the type of problem that happens when you're trying to not overbuild things in the beginning, and then later you're trying to add some capacity. And it's maybe less of a problem when you're building for scale from the start because you know, you know, day one is going to already have tens or hundreds of thousands of users and going to need, you know, a cluster to begin with. So, but so you know. So many of us get our experience through these startup type situations. So good to know about. Yeah, I mean, and it's also, it's not even just like startup companies, right? It's just, it's just at the beginning of a project, like you don't need, you know, read replicas necessarily, right? Like the traffic's not there. So it's, you know, even if you're in an enterprise or doing it, you know, in, in a big company, like you'll probably still go through this, the same kind of life, life cycle. You won't be doing it from the get go. The, the other thing, you know, another big gotcha with, with replicas is, you know, we talked about strongly consistent versus eventually consistent. And these read replicas, they are eventually consistent. So, you know, normally your code, your application code, when it's making calls to the database, you know, making operations to the database, it's kind of operated against a strongly consistent data model. So you go and write something to the database and then you read it back, you expect it to be there. When you go to this multi-node system with read replicas, that's not the case anymore. So if you write to the primary and then immediately try to read that data back from one of the replicas, it may not be there yet, right? Because it still has to replicate. And so this has really pretty severe consequences to your application. Like you have to be thinking through like where where's my code expecting the strongly consistent model? And when that's the case, like I can't read from the replicas. I have right. to be going against my primary. So really the the traffic going to the read replicas should be should be the read operations that can handle the eventually consistent model right and just since it's just us again since all the potential clients left another story that i have to tell you is that yes kelsis also after having after fixing the issue with labeling queries and having read replicas work in production for several weeks in a row we got bit again and it was like how to get it again and it turned out that it was exactly this eventual consistency thing somebody wrote some code that expected to be able to you know go through a sequence you know a sequence of five or six database operations that were not part of a single transaction and in one you know in the second operation they were maybe reading from some stuff they inserted into a table in the first operation and you know our staging environment was not the same as our production environment and so in staging everything just worked beautifully and then suddenly when we put it into production and you know the, the business was just depending on it working absolutely right it totally broke because of this eventual consistency problem. So I think the lesson learned there is not just knowing about eventual consistency and planning for it, but also, you know, not taking shortcuts with your staging environment, even if it is going to cost you extra to have a full production, you know, copy in your staging environment. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, I think the, the big takeaways here is that like things like read replicas, um, having clusters of, of state, very important for scaling. You're going to have to do it. But even with all the help that you have out there and, and these managed systems, it's not as simple. As, as as checking something off in a in a console and enabling it, you you really have to understand like what does this mean to my architecture? What needs to change in my software? How do I test this? How do I verify that this is working the way that I'm that I that I expect it to? So and, and it's, I, not, I, it's not easy work. I, 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 yeah, I would say that when the, when you run into a problem that's caused by eventual consistency, it's going to be a big problem because you just can't do a quick hot patch like oh my god the the data is really getting messed up and where you know where 
exactly is this SQL that that's depending on on something that just got inserted. Like that's not a that's not a quick one line or change usually. So planning in advance is going to save you some real headaches with your with your users. And not only that, I mean, usually like this is like it ends up being kind of like has the feeling of like spooky logic, right? Or or it's mm-hmm. it's fuzzy, right? So it's not you don't when you do have this problem, it's not like you're failing necessarily. It's just right. that maybe it's just like again like data that you expected to be there isn't there, and so that has like some ramifications and you're going to get it's just like the wrong result but like you may not be able to detect that very quickly right or it may take some time before you start hearing complaints from your users saying why do you think a lizard is cuter than this kitten <laughs> right like why why did the lizards beat them in the in the rankings like that doesn't make any sense and it's like yep. oh well you know what the kitten votes <laughs> they're still replicating <laughs> exactly all right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Thank you for talking through such an important part of database architecture. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Rich. Talk to See you ya. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash five eight. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you. And we'll see you again next week.